All right. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with uh, Elder Kushan Jenkins, and we want to talk about advice to young preachers as well as some of the things that preachers encounter. And so he's with me uh, right now, and we're actually going to talk about those type of things. What are some of the things, insights you have? I've noticed that these particular days that there are a lot of preachers who are chasing after titles and positions. What's your take on that? I think, Bishop, uh, first grace and peace, everyone that may be listening and tuning in. Um, I think that you asked a question that's at a challenging time as this. I think for me, understanding that as someone who grew up in the church, we were always taught in admiration and inspiration out of respect for our leadership that one day when we got of age, we would become uh, what they were to us and what they were to us in the church. And for us, that spoke so many volumes. So I, I think it's a thin line between getting drunk off of a title or drunk off of power. But that seems to be the thing that every every young preacher is chasing now. It seems to be a popular thing to be young, to be a bishop, to be young, to be an apostle, be young and, you know, have your own church. It seems like the season where a lot of people are uh, opening doors and uh, closing doors also. But um, I, I've even was talking to somebody and he was telling me that they noticed that a lot of people now are just buying the attire and wearing it mm-hmm. and not proving it. So the church looks bastardized. Mm-hmm. What's, what's your take on that? Well, I think it, it definitely has been something that we've taken and allowed to become a familiar thing because we've aspired to these roles that we have been ill-equipped for. I think there's nothing wrong with aspiring to become something one day with the proper training. Um, so I just think it speaks to the lack of development within this generation and lack of development across the board, you know, even for the seasoned uh, fathers and mothers to train the next generation. And this is a time to have impartation, not that, you know, we should wait until someone has gone on to be with the Lord or is on the other side to then pass on the mantle, but allow them the opportunity to grow and be taught and trained um, while things are the way they are, you know, even in good times always allow moments for teachable moments. So that, that's what I would say to that. And I think, you know, to answer so my your question, then is there, is there a problem with the fathers or is there a problem with the sons? I think, I think there's a, there's a dual thing. I think because oftentimes the perspective that we don't think about as sons. And when you see so many leaders or young people aspiring to be the now leaders of the church, I think that's a deficiency because um, they haven't, they haven't, studied or went after a balanced life first and foremost that understands that there's so much more to God than church. And I think that that can come from a poor representation um, that was maybe passed down to us. You know, I thank God for the times that we would gather in church all throughout the week and what it did for my spirituality. However, um, I lacked some things that I needed to be a balanced believer. And that is what we find out as we get in different settings and we're facing with different challenges is trying to navigate through those spaces where we're uncomfortable with people because we've never been in those spaces to have to respond as a believer. So what often happens is if you're not careful, you'll fall, you know, your character will fall subject to being vulnerable. Well, trying those things that you know, aren't right to be tried out of a lack of over religiosity. 
So would it be better than, because uh, I, I believe the phrase is, we got to be careful that there's, there's some places that our reputation will take us that our character has to keep us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, Bishop, you just said something very keen because oftentimes, you know, we want to be great overnight. And this is a lesson I had to learn myself. Uh, understanding that your gift will bring you before great men, not anything other than your gift. But notice the scripture doesn't say your gift will keep you before great Absolutely. men. Absolutely. will take you. Your gift will take you there, but your character has to sustain you in those doors because what we're finding out is that not only do people make it, but sometimes people make it are a one hit wonder. So and it's because of those character defining moments that we aren't able to be sustained in that place that we aspire to, which is also critical that we be careful of the office that we are aspiring to without knowing the weight of the assignment and the magnitude that it has. So sometimes it seems like, especially with young people, there's no longevity, there's no stability. Um, so, I mean, what would you say to young preachers who are aspiring to be around for a long time. I think there is a blessing in being around. Absolutely. And God sustaining you, not just Absolutely. preaching today or you preach an initial sermon today and then all of a sudden we don't hear from you anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, there are some people that are growing in grace, but for those people who just feel like their first sermon is going to be their master sermon mm -hmm. that's going to push them out there like Jake's or like uh, Juanita Bynum or you know some of the other name brand ministers mm -hmm. uh, and those people who are seeking to be like those people because they think that they are going to take those people places. What would you say about uh, things like that, taking people's places or the next? We, we visited... Um, uh, what was the church we United visited? Nations. United Nations. United State. Nations Church. You know, somebody may be aspiring to, to take the place of uh, of a bishop or, or either Lady mm -hmm. Medina Pullins, but what would you say to people who are trying to be or trying to model or trying to 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 replace other mm. ministers? Well, I think it's, it's critical because I, I look at myself as a moment for transparency. I think it's one thing to be inspired by such great uh, voices that we celebrate and we see on the circuit today. But I think it's critical that we understand our personal relationship has to be the so the central focal point of what we do and who we are. Because if we don't have a prayer life for ourselves individually, it doesn't do us any good to have the platform and misuse the opportunity. Would you agree that experience is the best teacher? I would say experience say and that. wisdom. I would say experience and wisdom because a lot of what I learned, um, yes, came through experience. However, a lot of what I grew to learn came through me remembering the 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 crumbs that fell from the table, the 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 opportunities to just listen. Sometimes, you know, just because you have a seat at the table doesn't mean you have a voice. And that is the and interesting I thing I will leave to please, my generation. Please, uh uh, elaborate on that because I think a lot of people realize and I even find that uh, even as I'm working for Calvary and, and other organizations, sometimes it's just a blessing to sit at the table mm -hmm. and hear or just hear, glean from a conversation Absolutely. or learn from a conversation. You don't necessarily have to be a part of the conversation because I felt like, I've always felt with Bishop Williams and some of the other uh, uh, Founding Fathers. Yes, the, the fathers, that the certain things, you just need to sit down and listen. Don't say Absolutely. anything. 
just just glean from their wisdom and that will make your ministry more effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this seems to be a day, like I said, where there are a lot of stargazers, a lot of people who feel like they're at the top, a lot of people who um, want to start at the top. Mm-hmm. And to me, if you start at the top, the only way to go is down. Wow. So I think we have to grow in grace, as the scripture says, and in the knowledge of the Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems to be a lot of people that are not willing to pay the mm-hmm. price for ministry. And uh, do you feel like there is a price that has to be paid for ministry? I, I definitely, you said a, a lot of things. If I were to unpack just at a first um just at a, at, a, at a first stab at it, I would say first and foremost, Bishop, a lot of this has to do with us knowing who we are first and as people, you know, outside of church, outside of um, titles, outside of leadership. Who are you? And what we're finding out is so many leaders don't know who they are without the church, without the positions, without the titles, without what people have put on them through the years and molded them for, that that's a deficiency that they didn't have to spend the rest of their lives navigating through in their career field. Because I believe it affects you all three ways, mind, body, and spirit. You know, it's, it's, it's a trichotomy. And with that being said, we must be mindful and conscious to be at one for a sense of wholeness. And without you being whole, you will continue to be broken and bleed upon other people and other mm-hmm. people continuously have to tend to your wounds. And and the unfortunate thing about that is we have a lot of grown, broken leaders and, and we don't need any more broken leaders. We, we have enough of that. And I say that because if we were to seek healing and really seek the things that we need personally, individually, we would produce better families that, you know, are more substantial. I, I don't believe that, you know, just because your family has to be a PK or a preacher's family that you have to fall under the the, the cookie cutter image that we've seen out before us. And that's one of the things I can appreciate about this generation. They dare to be different. Um, they dare to be themselves. And in taking that approach, I think that that will give longevity to the assignment. We will prevent burnout. And that's why a lot of what we see with my generation, um, you know, we start out on, on, on 10, a thousand. But we're burnt out by by late twenties. Those of us that start in our early twenties, you know, for myself, I started preaching before I even turned twenty. I started preaching my senior year in high school. Some would argue, you know, if I was ready. But um, I think that the weight of the assignment is consistent, right? But I think it takes growing to be able to carry the weight. And with that being said, I know my character had to be developed over time. Um, and even you know, you can learn all the lessons you want to learn, but it's not until you apply what you've learned that is helpful to you. So for me, it's about going back to those beginning conversations that people gave me because the, the truth be told, they they really did give them to me. It's just about remembering what they said and how that could really get me through crucial and critical moments in my ministry personally. Uh, as I continue to grow into the man that God has called me to be first and foremost, uh, before I can be a man to people, I got to be a man to myself and understanding that being true to thine own self um, so when I think about the church and where we are and how we progressed as a as a generation, yes, we are taking these roles that we aspire to, but there's some challenges and kinks that we haven't worked out because we haven't become whole within ourselves. Okay, two questions. Uh, what does what do what role does submission play in ministry? I think submission plays a vital role. Um, I want to answer two things. Though. You taught us uh, that just came back to me about stargazing. Um, you, you taught us the importance of seizing the moment. I remember the first time I had an opportunity to travel with you and the leadership staff at the ministry. 
uh, we were at the Joint College of Bishops, and this was a big opportunity for me because some preachers I had only witnessed through the other side of a screen. Uh, so to be able to physically see them in person and smell their perfume and cologne, you know, the simple stuff that we take lightly. Uh, but I say that uh, to prove a point, you know, had I not had the preparation prior to arriving there, I would have been just another young person who was not taking advantage of the moment. And some of that goes back to social media, you know, ruining what we would know as a moment and mm-hmm. being able to live in the moment because we're so busy trying to capture the picture. And, you know, you said something to me my freshman year where the ministers, you know, further echoed what you stated. Sometimes, you know, it's not all about taking the picture to prove where you were if what you get from the setting is meaningful. Yes. And it's finding that peace and that setting that really is meaningful because if we find that peace again, that's all that matters. Nobody, nobody would care that you had a picture with Jake's if you know what you got from Jake's. You know, it's like, which one would you rather have? Would you rather have a 30 second picture or a 30 second, uh, tidbit of, of, uh, of wisdom? You know, w- wisdom would give you strength for the journey. And that's always been my take because when I first met Bishop Jakes, introduced to Bishop Jakes by Bishop Owens, firstly, he says, I want to give you some advice. Wow. And I began to sit there at the dinner table, feeling privileged, feeling glad that I was at the table. And he began to speak advice about mm-hmm. ministry, how his ministry had transitioned from uh, Virginia and then transition again uh-huh. when he moved to Texas and the different lessons he had to learn and the various and the different things that he had to learn. Absolutely. My, my second question is this, because I was listening to a uh, broadcast this week and I won't name the name of the broadcast, but while I was listening to the broadcast, he was dealing with uh, several bishops or ministers who don't have integrity. I would say they don't have integrity. Um, But they made a statement, and I want to know how you feel about the statement. They said something about putting their ministry down because they were trying to find themselves and then coming back and picking their ministry back up. But they're actually talking about being bishops. Uh, And I have a big problem with that, but I won't even voice that. I want to know your opinion on uh, is it possible to put your ministry down and and live your life or live out something that has not been purified mm-hmm. or changed in your life and I, then come back and pick it up? I, I think for me, Bishop, it's understanding uh, the responsibility and back to just the weight of the assignment. You know, the first question you asked me about was submission. And that is something that I'm appreciative to this day that I learned very early on. Um, because understanding submission uh, requires a level of trust, uh, trust in something that is bigger than yourself, ultimately, that will force you to deny yourself. And that's what we deal with, uh, you know, an overindulgence of ourselves. I think a lot of us are just really full of ourselves because we started with the wrong MO. And it takes time to, you know, heal those um, or correct those perspectives and, you know, motives. Because, you know, we start out in pure. It's a hard process trying to do the will of the Father when you start out with the wrong spirit. <laughs> we both know, you know, ministry won't always be the most rewarding thing. However, it depends upon the perspective that you look at as a reward. So when you think financially, you only gain financial reward. But when you think holistically, you know, you become a better moral individual you know, as a result of what you do to ministry and for ministry. Um, so what you said with the submission, I think submission is key in everything. Submission on your workplace, submission uh, to the school system, you know, to commit yourself to 
completing that what you need to fulfill in order to be successful. That's the way I view submission as, you know, being vulnerable. The hardest thing for us to do as a people is to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that from kids, we're taught, you know, share your toys, share your toys. And all of a sudden we go to elementary school and then you got kids that, you know, have were once told to share the toys. Now they're told to look out for yourself. <laughs> so it's a disconnect, you know, and mentally trying to process those things that we, we spend all our lives of adulthood trying to separate from and, you know, really maintain who we are and learn who we are. But the truth be told, it's a process. So in that experience being said, you talk about integrity and understanding, you know, if you can put your ministry down and pick it back up and resume for another time. This goes back to understanding the totality of what it is that we do. And when you understand that you won't handle, um, you won't mishandle rather your assignment, mm-hmm. you know, you'll be careful how you handle it because you'll always be conscious of once you make an example of something, you got to live up to it. You know, the hardest message that we preach is the life we live. Absolutely. The Absolutely. hardest, you know, it seems like that's missing today because it seems like a lot of people, uh, uh, I, I, for lack of a better phrase and without offending anybody, like to laugh, like to, like to play, like to cuss, mm-hmm. like to do and, whatever, you know, they feel like they're big enough. Mm-hmm. The church seems like it has changed or preaching itself may have changed because preachers, you know, have no problems with drinking. They have no mm-hmm. problems with, with chasing women. They have no problem mm-hmm. with, uh, drinking alcohol. They have no problem with cussing now as long as when they're in the pool, Pit, they mm-hmm. speak in tongues, and, and wow. like you said, I think there's a disconnect, especially mm-hmm. if you're trying to be uh, a, a great preacher. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Absolutely, Bishop. I think what you said was uh, critical that we must always uh, approach the sacred desk with the heart of repentance. I, I, I think, first and foremost, you know, regardless of how holy we try to live. But the second part to that is we all should aspire to be what we preach. And that's the hard part because, you know, we, we live in a realistic world where we all can't live in that upper room. That upper room was a great experience. But what happens when we leave the upper room is we got to take what we had down up there, down here. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we that's how we gain our influence in the world. So I think it's important that we as believers understand how to navigate through these spaces because it's our life that's the best, the best sermon we preach. It's our life that's the best example of Christ that we want to witness. Therefore, we can be the light of the world. We can be the salt of the earth. How can we be salt without our savior? You know, and understanding that we have to have a distinction that constantly, you know, really, really, it's like, um, it's like an act of correctiveness. You know, you're driving a car, these new cars, they got these, uh, lanes. You know, when you when you merge over into a lane that you're not supposed to be in, you know, the wheel will automatically kind of stir you back in. Right, right. And so for a lot of us who are so accustomed to driving our cars without that assi- assistive driving, you know, it's uncomfortable for us. But I think about that analogy and I think about life as a believer because that is honestly what the Bible should be for us. It should be us, you know, being restirred back in our lanes, restirred back in our postures because it's normal. Your flesh, you have to crucify daily. Um, and you, you mentioned something about integrity and understanding who we are. I think about how God called Gideon. Gideon was threshing weeds mm-hmm. and God called Gideon to be a man of valor. He he called him to be something that he didn't look like he was in the state that he was in. And when mm-hmm. we really become the totality of who God calls us, 
we will constantly be amazed and we'll constantly be humbled by what it is that God has shown us. So what do you would you say to a preacher who uh, may feel jealous, may feel like uh, time is passing by, may feel like all my other friends are excelling in ministry and nothing's happening for me. What, what would you say to a person like that? Uh, uh, of course, we don't want to be judgmental and mm-hmm. judge and say, well, it's, it's because of this, it's because of that. Right, because right, of that. Let's, right. let's assume that this is a person who is living right, mm-hmm. living holy, and it seems like things are passing them by or that there uh, are other young preachers who are passing them. What would you say to a person like that? Honestly, Bishop, I think that goes to uh, first, uh, if we were to be honest, I think we all, are, I know we all are human, but in our human experience, we naturally desire to compare. Um, but when we understand what it is we're called to, so it's, it's not until we get the revelation and I say that because it has to be revealed to us as we are fulfilling out our assignment constantly who we're called to, who your voice is assigned to. And when you understand that your voice might not be assigned to the nations, but it might be assigned to your neighbor, we will see uh, a difference in our approach. Wow. And we will see a difference in, and maybe in our motive. And when in our neighbor, he'll take us to the nation. Exactly. Exactly. And the thing about it is, if we're only focused on the nation, our scope, our view, our view of sight won't even allow us to see our peripherals. I also think that, that every preacher has got to realize not every preacher has been given to the nation. Not exactly. all preachers are Sunday morning preachers. Not exactly. all preachers are uh, street preachers. Mm-hmm. You have to know where you fit in the spectrum of what God's doing. Another question for you. Just how do you, as a young preacher, uh, come up with your messages? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, what what inspires you? Are there little things that happen around the day or something that happens to you? How do you develop your messages? I think for me personally, it's understanding a level of sensitivity to the voice of God. Uh, I can hear the voice of God cutting grass. I can hear the voice of God going to the mailbox. It's whatever that speaks to you in your spirit that's true to you. I think that goes back to being effective. I could easily think about a message about, you know, God bringing you out and a message about God pulling you out. But it took time for me to understand that God would give me what he would have for me to say and trust and rely upon that to be the most effective for where we're going. It doesn't do me any good to preach one message in every house if that's not the need of the house. So understanding that God through the Holy Spirit will speak to your spirit and, you know, really lay some things on your heart. And even if you were to preach through what you've recently experienced, I think even in that, you know, transparency is a blessing to some people. I think sometimes, you know, we lose people because we, yeah, we I, I, leave out our we, transparency. We careful with transparency because some people are too transparent. And then some people, what they call transparency is not really transparency, is really confession. Absolutely. That's so true. That's so true. And I, I think or like the preacher who would preach uh, and give David a pass because he understands he has the same challenges as David or mm. the, the preacher who would preach uh, uh, and try to make stealing a, a fun thing, mm-hmm. a funny thing to justify their way of living or their way of thinking so that they don't feel bad about themselves. I mm. believe the word of God should convict you first. Absolutely. And, and I believe that to. God is going to hold you accountable to mm. the word that you preach. You know, it's first to me and then to those that are in the pew. So if I'm preaching something that is totally against what I actually mm-hmm. believe, God will convict me first before he will Absolutely. allow me to try to preach a, a convicting message for the rest of the congregation. 
I think Bishop, what you just said was uh, keen about being convicted first and foremost, and that has to do with our perspective or interpretation of grace. Some people see grace as a license. Others see grace as a warning. Uh, hmm. So for those of us that see grace as a license, we understand that, you know, it's grace is meant to be there when we come to repent. But for those of us that see it as a warning, understand it is because of grace that we don't continue in that which we know to be wrong. It is because of grace that we understand we have been forgiven, but we aim to be better to not need that same level of grace every time. Absolutely. absolutely. And that's like, you know, taking a parent for granted just because they don't whoop you every time you're wrong. Doesn't neglect the fact that you were wrong. <laughs> it just means, absolutely. you know, each opportunity is a different experience or a different outcome. So understanding how we view grace. I think if we view grace from the perspective of a warning, we will not take lightly the things of God. Must we continue in sin that grace may abound? I forbid. So, you know, I think it has to do with our self-reflection, what we believe morally is right and stand upon that as believers. Okay, I'll leave you with this last question. Uh, Would you agree that being in sin messes up your ability to flow when you're in ministry? Hmm. Some preachers don't believe that. Some preachers believe that, you know, as long as they ask God to forgive them before Mm -hmm. they preach. You know, I teach that between the chair and the pulpit, Satan is automatically Mm -hmm. reminding you of the things that are in your life, the sins and things like that. (laughs) And we just need to be honest and say, you know what? You're right. But I'm under grace. Mm -hmm. I'm covered under the blood. I'm justified. But there is a whole new group that seems to believe that. no longer is it necessary mm-hmm. to have a, a flowing God or to have your life purified so that the, the word of the flow of the word can op- actually operate. What do you have to say about that? I think this is what we must first realize is, as we mentioned about grace and, and mentioning that understanding the power of the witness that we have, the life we live. Sometimes it's not so much that we get too comfortable in the sin that we think we get by, but it's about who saw us in that act for some of us. Some of us won't ever be able to witness the people that we have messed around over um, because we weren't Christ-like in that moment. And for me, I'm more concerned about the private moments that no one else sees than an opportunity to be able to skate by because I repented before. I say that and I I can unpack that statement because I I think it's critical that we understand the significance of the life we live. Our life has to speak for us. And when we think like that, we'll be careful how we handle people. We won't be, you know, so quick to mishandle people and mismanage people. But it will cause us at first to have a heart of repentance to people that we come across, you know, just to be careful of how did I treat you? Oh, I know I treated you wrong today. You caught me. I had a bad attitude. So if we were caught up preaching and that the preaching is momentarily, mm-hmm. what we do in the pulpit is momentarily. That'll be over an hour. But what happens is after you've come down from this holy place, you're stuck in normalcy. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to navigate through normalcy, you'll be uh, a hypocrite and you'll be viewed as such. While there are some people that I believe, you know, we all know the scriptures, gifts and callings come without repentance. Mm-hmm. And that is just the sovereignty of God. But also with the sovereignty of God comes the uh, the intimidation or the fear or reverence for God. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to be guilty of being able to skate by. I didn't get to the point where it matters. And he says, depart from me. So, you know, it it depends because you can win souls for him and you can do everything for him and be a worker of him. 
I heard somebody say years ago, God is the only boss who will fire you and let you keep working for him. Mm -hmm. So the scary part about it goes back to morally what we believe and standing on that. You know, some people believe that they can get by living whatever life they live and, you know, it, it, it works for them. And the scary part about it working for them is they lack purity and reverence for the things of God to have a constant opportunity to commune with him. And that's what matters to me. If I if I never preach the greatest sermon to some people or never am remembered for preaching to some people, what matters most to me is that you understand from your encounter, you felt Christ. Absolutely. Your encounter with me, it, whether it was me driving you somewhere, whether it was me talking to you, texting you, whatever it was, you know, that you can truly say he was saved. For me, that is a bigger reward than being known as a great preacher personally. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Honestly, uh, Bishop, I must be honest, you know, that comes through time and understanding motive, because sometimes you know, I haven't been guilty of having the most pure motive. So it took those moments in prayer for God to search out those things in me that weren't the most purest to try me to see now that I'm in a place where I'm grateful to have grown too. Mm -hmm. but it didn't always start out there. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you, sir. This has been uh, Bishop Kelvin Shouse and Elder Kushan Jenkins. And I appreciate you, sir, for taking the time to talk to me and for giving uh, some advice to young preachers. I also want to congratulate you on your starting of Divinity School and certainly want you to know we're praying for you and believe God for his best. Bishop, I guess I have a question for you. Uh, sure. If you don't mind me asking for a younger generation preacher, um, what were some things that you did to develop your identity and who you were in ministry? Or could you tell us about the challenges that you may have faced early on in ministry through the identity forming stages? Well, I, I had an identity crisis because wow. when I first started preaching, I wanted to be like everybody else. I wanted to be like Noel Jones. I wanted to be like uh, uh, this person because they were popular or they were moving the crowd. I had to finally get to the place where I had to find myself. And life has a way of mm -hmm. showing you who you really wow. are. Because sometimes when we try to emulate or uh, 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 at just like those preachers, we don't know the price wow. that they have paid Absolutely. for the anointing that they've received. Absolutely. My thing is I always wanted to be anointed. Uh, there wow. were three major people in my life. Well, actually four. Bishop Bronfield Johnson was a quiet, uh, great preacher who never raised his voice, but wow. he had the ability to convict hearts. Wow. And he would preach for hours and people would come up. And I, and I saw that. Then I saw Bishop Yeverton, who was just one of the most spiritual persons I've ever seen in my whole life. He speaks in tongues and, and, and he cast out <laughs> devils. And, and so I, I wanted that. Then I saw Bishop Williams, who uh, had a great intellect, but he also had great patience with people. Wow. And he always taught us that, you know, you, you, you got to preach with your fist, an iron fist in a velvet glove. Wow. You can't let people see you. you hitting them and you got to do it with compassion and with love. Wow. And then there was Bishop Owens, who I appreciated him as an administrator and his ability to know how to put together services and things wow. like that. So what I tried to do is I tried to take a little bit. I, mm -hmm. I found out uh, and I found it out actually on the campus of A&T State University in a psychology class. One night the teacher says, we are the sum total of the people who have touched our lives. And I realized that we take on a little bit of everybody wow. else, but in the same 
uh, uh, notion. I had to find out who I was, who God wanted me to be. And you will only be satisfied when you become what God wants you to be and not try to preach like somebody else or teach like somebody else or act like somebody else or walk like somebody else. And so there became a great freedom for me to finally become me and comfortable with me mm. because I, uh, on the other side, I had a problem with low self-esteem. So I had to come to the place of knowing oh. who I was in God and I had to get God esteem before I could wow. get my esteem. Wow. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All thank right. You. Ladies and gentlemen, we thank you again for tuning in today to our podcast. And I certainly want to remind you that we are here on Spreaker as well as we are on Apple Podcasts. And you are certainly welcome uh, to tune in when we're alive as well as tune in uh, to our recorded uh, broadcast. And I'm sure they will be a blessing to you. Look for us somewhere in the future. God bless you. Nope. My check it. Give me no check. Giving out all my good stuff on the camera. Still talking. You still on?